Welcome to the Notorious Scoundrels, a Star Wars Legion podcast, bringing you the latest news, general perspective, and competitive discussion. Hello and welcome back to the Notorious Scoundrels podcast. I'm Kyle. I'm here with Mike and Zach. What's up, gentlemen? Uh, it's Monday again, as it always is. Um, so it's the start to a week. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to, you know how I feel about this question. I know. Zach, I like your bandana. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Today's been a stressful day. I'm not gonna lie. I was kind of spaced out there for a second. Um, you know, worked all day. Then I hit the grocery store. Finally got home. Couldn't even make dinner. Had to put the kids to bed, sat down, made myself a drink to sit down with you guys and hear our recording. But uh, we have a snowstorm hitting the Northeast kind of hard this week. And uh, so on top of actually needing a grocery order, like I needed to make sure that we were also set and, you know, for the entire week with the snow hitting um, and the grocery stores like slammed and they don't have things that I need, like pizza, like the pizza that my kid loves. And so now I'm getting yelled at because I came home with no pizza. And oh, like, Are you saying that your kid is picky about what kind of pizza uh, what, is, you know what, what is that well i mean he could definitely eat another brand but like he definitely gravitates to this one brand where he actually like eats like three slices rather than one right and since he's since he's a pain in my ass and we finally got he, we got finally got him to try a chicken nugget the other day he's three years old what kid doesn't want to eat chicken nuggets? Yo, okay. I got a bag of chicken nuggets in my freezer that I've been, you know, like... like uh, what kid doesn't know. want chicken nuggets? My wife was like, oh, why don't I get him Chick-fil-A and chicken nuggets today? He didn't try a Chick-fil-A chicken nugget. Like, what kid doesn't want Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets? Like, so... You're going to have yeah, to beat some say. sense into this, kid. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, Chick-fil-A, chicken nuggets, like, both of those things are like... you. I really can't complain... Because the stuff that he gives me problems with there kind of wash out on the other end because he loves Batman and he loves Star Wars. And like he sees a battle droid and he yells, Roger, Roger. Like, so I'm making out on that side of the deal while dealing with the headache on the others. It's a give and a take. I mean, but anyways, by the time I sat down tonight for the first time, it was time to record this podcast, which is, of course, relaxing. But it is almost like, you know, a job in a way. Right. You know, like. We're recording and, and we got to make sure we, you know, discuss certain things and sure, like shooting the shit before is fun. But now it's like, you know, it's like a job. So like it's one of those days where I'm going to be working from like six o'clock in the morning to like 10 o'clock at night. And that's fine. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's one of those days, Mike. It's one of those days. I feel you. I feel you. Um, and if I had um, other human beings that relied on me to uh, to live, I feel like I'd probably feel the same way. Um, but I don't. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel for you guys. Um, right. It's worth it eventually. But yeah, it's... <laughs> have, have you gotten to the eventually yet? <laughs> there are moments. There's there are some there's some moments, but this is not a dad podcast. No. Uh, so this is a Legion podcast, which we will talk about in just a minute after housekeeping. What do you got for us, Mike? Yeah. So uh, I. Zach has put in uh, quotes here that you're gonna sing for us, but I think I think since I'm going over this stuff, I don't know. I'm not gonna sing, even though I I could, but I don't think everybody would appreciate that. Um, though I wasn't an acapella band at one point, um, so we... I totally forgot about that. And had I remembered, <laughs> I actually might have fleshed out lyrics to yeah. the Twelve Days of Phase Two. Okay, that you're about to hang talk on. About. 
What, you were in an acapella band? I was. I uh, so. This is Did you have like matching thing. jackets and everything? We didn't. We didn't quite quite get that far. Uh, the name of it was Half a Dozen Guys, and there was six of us. Um, and yeah, we. Uh, you know, one dude sang lead vocals. Somebody was like the bass, and somebody else was like the electric guitar. And yeah, it was fun. Um, it was kind of I forget the name of the people that do the same type of thing, but like way better. There's like four of them. They do pentatonics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so not the B sharps. No, uh, it was fun, but that was like a high school deal. Um, but in any case, uh, Twelve Days of Christmas. Uh, the Fifth Trooper and I believe the Legion Discord um, are teaming up this week and I guess next week to bring you some uh, Phase 2 giveaways, which is pretty sweet. Um, there is a link in the description. I will put it in the link for the video as well so that you can check it out. Um, basically, there are four spots to enter on our Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and the Discord. Um, for each one that you either join or um, follow, you'll get an entry into this uh, Phase 2 giveaway. And we're going to be giving away, um, I believe, uh, one uh, one Phase 2 a day. So... Um, that's that's pretty awesome um you know make sure that you uh you know shout at us on social media and thank the guys in legion discord for for that um we've also uh, as always if you're looking to support us check out our patreon um the fifth trooper um if you're looking to support us in any way we've also got our online store um i believe we've got some stuff going on sale this week so be on the lookout for that i think some stl files and stuff um and additionally, you know, if you're looking for painting, hobby supplies, we've got a ton of the Army Painter range as well as a lot of the uh, Citadel Contrast paints. So um, people looking for Christmas gifts this time of year, we've got a ton of stuff on our website and we'd also appreciate the support. So um, if you are looking for Christmas gifts and haven't done your shopping yet, check us out. Um, but I think that's what I've got for housekeeping today. Um Shall we? Yeah, that um, that giveaway is looking pretty hot. Four hundred something, uh, four hundred seventy-five like takes already. So that's good. Um, you know, it's gonna those those phase twos are still hot. Yeah, I mean, I I imagine we will get into it some point later today or later on another cast. But I think Rexstar is still really good. Um, specifically with with I think some amount of phase twos maybe. Maybe two or three is probably the sweet spot. But, um, yeah, uh, don't sell your phase twos because uh, they still baller. They, they still are baller? They are still baller. What did I say? They still baller? Oh, this same deal. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, we, we understood the English you were getting at. It's I fine. Know, I did, too. It was in my head. Sometimes I, like, am saying things in my head and I, like, drop a word. Um, I'm sure listeners at this point <clears throat> know that. Uh, <laughs> I, I just figured maybe it was like some young person euphemism that just went over my head. So, well, I mean, it's it, fair. It, I mean, it could you, have you, been, and you would not have known. You don't even know what toms are and uggs are for crying out loud half the time. So, I do, well, I know what toms are now. That's a shoe, right? <laughs> yes, you, okay. you didn't like three months ago, though, Kyle. It's... No, that's a, that's accurate. <laughs> yes, we were talking about toms on our internal Discord, and I'm like, I don't know anyone named Tom. What is what is this conversation? You, you anyway. don't know what an UGG is, though? Those are like the fuzzy boots, right? 
Okay, all right. We were te- I was testing him on that one. Yeah, I was yeah, testing him yeah, on that yeah. one. I do have a four-year-old daughter, so I'm familiar <laughs> with. And believe, believe it or not, they do make Uggs that small. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, yes, uh, I know what Uggs are. Um, yeah, so today we are not talking about Uggs. We're going to talk about competitive list building. We're going to sort of revisit this topic because the last time we talked about it was, I think, almost literally two years ago. So there have been not one, but two points updates since then. So, In factions um, added. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I was looking back at my article I wrote on this topic right around the time we talked about it on the podcast. And I don't even think that like Pathfinders and Death Troopers were out. So uh, we're going to... What's a Pathfinder and what's a Death Trooper? I haven't seen either <laughs> of them on the table in ages. Are you saying it's been so long they've phased in and out? Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's... Speaking of phasing in and out, we're also going to talk about phase ones and phase twos at some point during this course of this discussion, I'm sure. All right, we're done with the puns for the next 30 seconds. Um, Let's hit our 101 topic. It's time for Legion 101. Class is in session. So we're going to talk today about competitive list building 101. So the focus of this discussion is going to be specifically for like a long form tournament. So we talk about the difference between, you know, just showing up to a casual game at your house or at a local game store, or even like a three game tournament at your local game store is a little bit of a different conversation than like a six, seven, eight, nine, ten game tournament, either at like a convention or something like Invader League. Um, You know, those are all between six and ten rounds and generally for the most part, you need to like essentially go undefeated if you want to actually have a shot at winning one of those tournaments. So, bring in a list for three games, you know, which is a relatively small sample size where you might not run into certain lists versus like 10 games is a very different calculus. So, our focus for the purposes of this discussion is going to be on that like long form tournament, you know, having to plan for six or more games, having to plan for a variety of different matchups, probably running into some you know, hard counter lists. Um, I was actually driving into work today, not to go off topic real quick, but I was driving into work today thinking about how much I miss playing three to four games a day in a tournament. And I know that sounds like crazy to say that. Um, But like, I love just playing and playing and playing. Um, And while you get tired throughout the day, um, and it depends on how your tournament's going, right? Like if you lose like round one by like round four, maybe you're not really like fine tuned and like focused. Right. But like, if you're three and oh, and you're playing that fourth game, like I remember, like, I know it's a long time ago, the RPQ that I won and went four and oh, right. Like that fourth game, I was like hyper-focused, like super, super hyper-focused. Like it was as if it was my first game of the day. Like I was like ready to go. And I was just literally thinking about this on my drive to work this morning. Like, I miss that feeling not to like go off like the ropes here, but like seriously, just thinking about this morning. No, I'm with you. I was eating. I promise this is related. I was eating an uh, avocado the other day and I'm like, man, I miss tournaments because, (laughs) because you should, uh, the day before like a long tournament where you're going to be standing a lot, um, eat some carbs, complex carbs. And then, uh, the day of you want like, good fats healthy fats like avocados 
or eggs or something like some combination Kyle, brain food Kyle is basically like so in on the diet stuff for tournaments i remember sweet potatoes we, the first time we went to lvo he like we were we were getting ready to like leave the room in the morning um and like he was like hey man you want some breakfast stuff and he like he like whips out all these like cliff bars and i was like all right <laughs> You know, he's like, I don't know. Food is a food is a big food is a very important component for tournaments. Let me tell you. I'm telling you, sweet. I know it's there's another one. It's tough to do with tournaments because you're usually like at a hotel or somewhere at a convention center. You can't really eat sweet potatoes. But like sweet potatoes, if I'm not mistaken, is like one of the best things you can eat for like sustained energy. Um, like Nathan McKinnon, not again. I'm going off topic. Is is an NHL like center, like one of the top players in the NHL, and he eats like like four hours before his game. He'll eat like six sweet potatoes. Because that gives him like the sustained energy to play three periods of hockey later on at night. Sweet, um, sweet potatoes are terrible. I just well, that's that's crazy. Um, no, no, dude, they're <laughs> amazing. I just want to be clear. That is crazy. Talk. Potatoes are amazing. Sweet potatoes oh. are questionable at best. Oh my! All right, we're gonna we're gonna have a separate conversation about this sometime because sweet potatoes are amazing, <laughs> uh, especially with barbecue sauce. Yes, I'm in. I'm in on it. Yeah, anyway, um, we're not talking about diet today. We're talking about competitive list building. So our focus there is going to be on a tournament. And therefore, we're probably going to... We're, we're not going to talk a lot about like specific units today, although they will come up. We're going to talk more about sort of general concepts of building a competitive list, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, um, it it's important to think of this like we're not telling you what units are good. We're telling you how to play units you want to play, I think in a competitive toolkit, right? Like, so if you want to play Obi-Wan Kenobi, this is how you would build a list to do that rather than taking a shot at me. Maybe uh, <laughs> rather than telling you to, that Obi-Wan Kenobi is good. We're, we're going to give you the tools to make the things that you would like to do competitively viable because frankly 90 percent of the units in this game are competitively viable if you build around them the correct way um and so that's what we're going to talk about today yep so generally speaking i'll just go over a rough outline here we're going to talk about picking a focus and that doesn't we'll get into this that doesn't necessarily mean like picking a specific single unit but just deciding what it is that you want your list to do um you know filling out your activations we'll talk about quantity of activations why that's important uh you're building a good token mix and then we'll talk about upgrades and um why every point is super important but anyway let's dive in so the first thing is this sounds sort of elementary but just deciding what the focus of your list is going to be and this doesn't have to literally be a single unit uh what we mean by this is just figure out what it is that you want your list to do. And often that revolves around a unit or group of units, but, and then focus on that. Yeah. So like, I mean, I, I think easy examples are like force users, right? Because like they, um, I think, uh, before you've outlined focus pieces as having, um, particular roles, for instance, a force user might be a scalpel, which is something that like you kind of used to do a very specific thing i think some of the other terms you used were like hammer and control yeah so basically I, in this original article i wrote 
two years ago. And then we also use these terms occasionally on the cast and in, in other various media, media. but the, the three like sort of focus words that I came up with are, are scalpel you mentioned, which is like a unit that's fast and hard hitting and, and or does reliable damage, but might be kind of fragile when they're focused. Uh, a hammer, which is something like an ATST, or this could also be a group of units like a bunch of phase twos, where you know their job is basically just like you show them in your opponent's face, they throw a bunch of dice, they're durable, they're tanky, and your opponent's forced to deal with them. And then you know the third type is like a control piece, which is you know controlling a specific area. And you can have a, a unit or or a group of units doesn't necessarily have to neatly fall into one of these categories. Like a lot of force users, for example both can do a scalper role and are also control pieces. Um, you know, the classic control examples are sort of the, the quote-unquote slow force users like Palpatine and Vader. But, you know, this can be a lot of other things too, like the, the before when standby sharing was a thing, basically your entire <laughs> your entire clone list was a control piece. Yeah, right? it, it was with, amazing. With... I, uh, my favorite way to play ever. Um yeah. But, probably not your opponent's favorite way to play no but that's because it was it was similar to playing you know a deck full of counter spells in magic where you just were like no you don't get to do that no you don't get to do that and um you know when we say control that's sort of what we mean and that you're you're right. able to shut off your opponent's decisions yep so often this revolves around a specific unit or a group of units right we already talked about some force users some other ones can be like um, bikes. So whether that's like speeder bikes or staps, or you know, you could also look at the the brand new unit, the T forty seven air speeder. In this way, um, if you're running like two air speeders, that can be kind of your list's focus. Uh, it could be like a bunch of you know tauntauns. Um, basically, you just have to decide you have to decide like what you want your list to do. Yeah. It's almost like you need to go into the mindset of giving your list an identity and forming it around that. Like, um, Tauntauns, for example, and, and Mandalorians, right. They're, they're units that use their speed to their advantage and they have a certain tool set to get those things done. Right. Um, like you were talking about force users and control, like, um, Dooku, for example, has like a certain tool set that works around the army that is around him by using his cunning cards and his abilities to manipulate the board through his force powers, right? It, fundamentally, you want to build around those things. Um, sometimes it's easier said than done. Um, like if you think about it, right, as an example, I know we're not trying to go like too much down into like faction specific, but like your, your Dooku stats list. On paper, right, the stats don't necessarily fit what you're trying to do, but they do because of two things, right? One, they move fast and make up for the lack of speed of Dooku, who can control the board, right? And two, they have coordinate. So they're still doing what the focus of your army is doing. It's focusing on the fact that you have order control. And it's focusing on the fact that your 200 and something, you know, point piece can't move at the rate that they can to cause the havoc that you need to get him to the area that he needs to go. 
right? Like it's basically like a sleight of hand type of situation. Now on paper, like it kind of looks weird, but it works because the focus of the list is still intact, which is using the droid trooper keyword, right? Or the droid coordinate keyword to its best advantages. And fundamentally, if you think about it, the game has kind of changed into more of focusing on keywords than it is certain units, right? Like the clone trooper keyword and the coordinate, you know, keyword. And then you still have rebels and Imperials that kind of focus on what they do best rebels. It's almost as if they're going towards, and they still, I mean, not sure they're me. going towards. What do they do best? Rebels go, rebels have a lot of high speed units that can get in your face and cause mayhem. Um, now, Normally, I would think a character list would be what you would want in a rebel list, right? You'd try and try and focus around your characters, but we're we're dealing with the fact that droids are a thing, right? And a lot of the times, those character lists can't do enough damage to droids, or at least that's how I felt when I when I play character heavy lists. So, Imperials are still the gunline type of list building, right? For the most part, and you kind of have to build around those things. So. I would think that faction identity ends up being the center focus of everything. And then whatever pieces you have that work towards the general focus of the factions can branch off. It's not just like, it's hard to describe it because like, I think back when you wrote this first article focus in those lists were very simple. Right. And now it's a little bit more broad of a spectrum and you kind of have to, build on a couple different things rather than just one, even though it's still the focus of it all. If that I mean, makes any sense. So I think I think it does a little bit. I think you can still kind of think of this as as specific units or groups of units. The the separatist example is an interesting one because I would argue in that list that you described, right? The Dooku stap list, your focus is not coordinate. Coordinate is a tool that helps you in this case, actually do multiple different types of focuses, right? Because you've got Dooku, who's one. He's like a classic control area control piece, right? And then you have your staffs, which are like a classic scalpel piece. Now, normally, so maybe this is a good way to segue, sort of jump ahead to activation control. But normally that would be a challenge because those are two things that are very timing sensitive, right? Activation timing is super important. But... Separatists have a unique ability to essentially get like perfect activation control on most or every turn. So they can sort of uniquely run multiple different types of focuses at the same time. Because even like when you're playing Dooku's one pip and you got a face up on Dooku, you probably still have at minimum your staffs in the bag and they might even have their own orders, right? So, but you couldn't do that with Vader and speeder bikes. Because Vader's very selfish with orders, and there are three to four turns in a Vader list where you have no way to get speeder bikes, your orders, and they're in the bag with your stormtroopers, right? So even though both of those things might theoretically fit with, like, points, um, one of the reasons that you want to kind of pick a unit or groups of group of units to focus your list around is because activation control is so important. Yeah, like I think that one of the one of the the good ways to figure out what your focus piece is if you don't know what it is in your list is basically to ask yourself 
what unit or what group of units do I want orders on like 80% of the time, right? And if, and if you think about that, like that is going to kind of give you a sense of what your focus is, right? And I think to your guys' credit here, you know, we're talking about CIS. It's a little bit different for them because they have like weird ways to do that. And I also think to some degree, clones can do this a little bit differently in that like the fives kind of going back to the coordinate thing coordinate allows you some flexibility and and even if we look at like past metas um like the whole short trooper mortar comms relay chain thing like the keyword coordinate kind of breaks the dichotomy of what is doable from a focus standpoint i think um in a lot of cases so i think when we generically talk about a focus it's it's kind of like in a vacuum where coordinate doesn't exist but but there are definitely scenarios where coordinate changes how many focus pieces you can have or how many units make up your focus piece right um so i i think that that is that sort of what you're trying to say there zach yeah, and and that's probably a more elegant way of putting it. Uh, I was trying to formulate the thoughts, but that's that's what it is. Like looking at Kyle's list, it has a, like you, like you said, it's got a control, a scalpel, and sometimes those B ones can actually be your hammer in a sense, right? And it, depending on the game and how it's working, but like they're, they're I, a I'm soft, just, squishy hammer. <laughs> yeah, but there are a lot of there are a lot of bodies and stuff like that. I'm just trying to like make it like generalize it, whereas you have like. Th- an army that's trying to do almost three different things, but it works because of the perks of what you built a, built it around in a sense. And I know coordinate isn't really what you built it around, but it's there and that's what makes it work. Right. Um, but, but it's an example of getting the right pieces together. Even when, you know, like, let's say an example is like um, Luke and Cassian. They're both a little bit like, um, order hungry because Cassian sometimes like wants to go late because of his sniper and he wants to aim up with K2 and at times. And Luke obviously has his cards where he wants orders, but there's ways that you can play those cards and make sure that there are ranges that work together. And they, and that's a focus that you can build upon, even though one of them is a sniper, right. And one of them is a, is a Jedi They're they're And they're both very different, but similar pieces, but they work because of how you can manipulate the army around them. And how it all works, which is again building upon that focus with all you know with different items, I guess. Well, and I think I would argue that Cassian is pretty timing neutral if you use his sniper rifle. It it depends, but, yeah. It it depends on what your situation is. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I do think that if K two is in the list, you kind of want to get more aims on Cassian if you can, of course. But there are times where you can obviously just if you pull Cassian, you pull Cassian. That's fine. Yeah. Um, so let's actually let's jump ahead a little bit and just talk about activation control because I think that's so inherent to the concept of like why you need to establish a focus. You know, one of the things, one of the common mistakes I see when people post lists on Facebook or Discord or whatever is that it's just trying to do too many things. You know, it'll be a list with like a tank and Vader and like an E-Web. And it's like that's that's a lot of different things that you're trying to do at once. And you really just need to like, you know, you're not going to be able to support a tank and support Vader at the same time. Well, you know, I mean, at least topically, like, like you could, if you really tried, maybe, right. Like there, right, there are things it, you can do to manipulate it, but on, on a service level, yeah. I you, you could, you could use like uplinks and stuff, but that would be kind of an inefficient use of, 
of points. Like there, there are more ways to get around this than there used to be with things like HQ uplink and with upgrades like seize the initiative, but you do have to invest points in those things. And you have to, you have to sort of decide whether it's, you know, the juice is worth the squeeze there. But Ooh, anyway, I like that. The juice is worth a squeeze. I haven't heard you use that one before, but episode uh, name, write it down. <laughs> wait, did I did I actually use an ex- a euphemism correctly? Yeah, is I think it? so. Wow. All right. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Um. All right. One one for twenty. Um. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about let's talk about activation control. So, why is having face ups on specific things very important? I know this sounds like a super elementary question, but. Well, so, I mean, the short answer here is that um, when you have a face up order token on something, you have the flexibility to decide when it gets to go. And like, that's like a very obvious thing to say, but when, when you kind of like get down to the nitty gritty of it, like sometimes like sometimes you obviously want that unit to go first or last, right? Like that's the most obvious like reason to have a face up order on something. But I think some things, sometimes it gets lost that having a face up order specifically, so you can pull a trigger at a specific point over in the course of a turn is often more important. Um, in that, you know, like specifically like when you're in melee and something withdraws and then you like you immediately activate the unit that got withdrawn from this happens withdrawn 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 from there we go withdrawn yeah (laughs) um and and then you immediately go with them so they can't get shot you know having a face-up order token on a jedi in that scenario is huge it's super important if you didn't you're gonna get wrecked um and in that vein if you have multiple units that are in those situations at the same time, it can often be difficult to control both. Um, if one is like a hero, if they're both core units or something, it's a little bit easier. And that's why to some degree, like the clone and droid thing works for them. But like oftentimes if you're playing rebels with Luke or Imperials with Palp, um, Pops a little bit of a corner case because he's got the IRG thing going on. Another coordinate-esque effect. Um, you know, those units, you, you pretty much have a unit on Luke or a unit on Kenobi or a unit on Palp 100% of the time, right? Like, you always get to know when they go unless somebody, like, you know, double the falls you or something. Which is why those cards are so good and because they wreck your focus pieces, often like cards like double the fall and given to your anger are cards that are designed to take the power of having a face-up order token on your focus piece away from you um and in the fact that those are command card effects should signal to you how important (laughs) that is right um it is incredibly important most of the game yeah um it's funny i was sitting here kind of like listening to you talk and then think about the, like the propensity that I have to run lists that have two different characters that typically want orders. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, but like, I've, I, I loved Han and Luke, um, which if, if you ask me, uh, Flyboys is actually probably one of the trickiest lists you could have learned to play. 
Um, right. So then I put, then I played Luke Sabine. Like I'm just going down the list, right? Luke Sabine was another tough list because sometimes when you were playing explosions, Luke also needed to be in an area that wanted an order token. And, and, uh, then i also love Rex and Kenobi together. And while like, it's a little bit easier with Rex and Kenobi because of some shenanigans, like with fives included and stuff like that. There are definitely times where I wish I had ambush rather than call me captain just because Kenobi's in the fray and he's already played his one pip and you kind of want to want now that things have changed with CZ initiative, right? So, I mean, that's, that's a different story, but my main point to this is that if you do have two things that need orders that we're talking about, right? The, the further discussion is to look at your command cards. Do you know how many times I have left home a character driven card to bring push or assault to make sure that like to make sure that I have orders on the things that I need on the approach. So another, another concept that I wanted to bring to the table is that when you are building these lists and order control might not be great on the face of things, you can somewhat look to your command cards and fix it a little bit better. Um, like take Sabine's two pip, for example, it only orders Sabine. If you're playing a list with Sabine and maybe clan Ren as an example, right? But that's, that's just an easy one. Clan Ren's not a character, but maybe push is a better call than, than Sabine's two pip because you want an order on clan Ren at all times, especially on a two pip. Uh, one pips are obviously different. One pips typically only order one thing. So that, you know, that's where uplinks and the coordinate stuff comes in involved. But when building a list, if there's a way that it, let's say you look at it and you think to yourself, oh, if I play this two pip, I'm going to be concerned about orders. Well, maybe consider bringing something else. And that fundamentally goes into your list building as much as putting the list together as your command hand in, in terms of order, you know, order control. And part of the reason that this is not as big of a concern for things like core units is twofold. One, they're not as important, Right. Like if you lose a unit of rebel troopers or something because you happen to pull their token at the wrong time, that's way less bad than if you lose Luke Skywalker or Obi-Wan for the same reason, right? But also, you know, you can take up to six core units, which means that you have six core tokens in your bag, and you're unlikely to have six core units that all need to go first on a given turn or all need to go at a specific time on that turn unless you've done something horribly wrong. Now, you might have one or two, but if you've got six core tokens in your bag, you know, and you give your face-ups to your commander and, you know, one or two other units that aren't core units, you might have, like, six out of the seven tokens in your bag might be core tokens. So if you really need that Rebel Trooper unit or that Stormtrooper unit or whatever to go first, you know, you've got a really good chance to pull a token from your bag and allow that specific unit to go first. Now... You know, five of your six rebel trooper units or stormtrooper units might be in a perfectly like fine timing neutral position, but because you can sort of like saturate the bag with the with that one token type, you know the the fate of a of an individual unit is not going to be hanging in the balance in that situation nearly as much as it would with like a character or you know a, a special forces unit or something like that. I mean. One of the worst feelings in this game might be when you're frantically trying to pull a token out of a bag and you really need to, it to come out. Or, or the other one might be you've done the math and you have those six core tokens, but you need, or, and you have like 
two special forces in there and you don't want to pull special forces. You just want to pull the core, right? And you pull the special forces. Like those are the two moments that make playing this game a lot of fun. I know, I, I know what I just described doesn't sound fun, um, but in, and it can be frustrating too. Like I'm not saying it's all fun, but like those are the moments you kind of play for, right? It, it, in the situations where it gets a little dicey and you, you need a token and you're sweating it out. It's, it's not fun at the time, but then you think about it later and you're like, ah, oh, you know, that's why playing games can be fun, right? Um, obviously, order control is, is a lot more simple on the mind and a lot easier in the moment and you're not sweating bullets. But uh, there's definitely been times where I'm frantically pulling and I, and I can remember them, um, you know? Yeah, I mean, th- this is... This this exact thing that we're talking about is why I do not play R two D two in my clone lists anymore. And we've you know, talked about this a lot. And I know that a lot of the time it's been joking, but like this right here is exactly the reason because I go to my bag specifically pre errata looking for a unit that can take a standby effect, right? And nine out of the ten things in my bag can can activate my standby bubble, and R two can't. And every time you draw R two, you're like right and um i mean that's clearly an example from from a previous world but i think to kind of head back to the like the focus activation portion of the discussion you know we talked a lot about like double character lists and zach you talked a bunch about a few you've played and i think that and you were talking about the command hands specifically um and i think that that's a very important thing to think about in for a few reasons and when we're talking about activation and activation control traditionally the lists that run multiple characters still only run one focus i think with the exception of the luke sabine list i think that's the only high profile high tier list in double bounty i take that back luke sabine and double bounty are both lists that have multiple focus pieces um so i'm gonna set them aside for now traditionally like if if you were to come to us and say that how should i build a list i want to include two characters in it we would say something the effect of pick a character to be your focus and then pick a support character great examples of this are luke and leia right luke is your focus leia is your backline dude you know support in your troops veers boba was a big one you know even zach in your kenobi rex list rex is still a is not a focus piece there right he's a support commander that's supporting your troops um yeah that was more about like command that was more like about the command hand sometimes could can get back to you because because call me captain is such a great card you kind of need to take it right and you can't bring ambush and if obi-wan is in the thick of it you've already played kenobi's cards say right you kind of wish you had ambush at times is what I was kind of getting at, but no, totally like Kenobi Rex is basically the clone version of wonder twins, which is Luke and Leia, right? Like what you're getting at a a high point focused item or a control piece in Luke or Obi-Wan where Rex and Leia can then support the army behind them. Right. Yeah. And and I think the, the important takeaway there in this discussion is all of those lists still only have one focus and 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 that's an important distinction, I think. And, and I think in most of those lists, there is a, a decent argument for taking ambush in the support heroes one pip slot. It's not always done because oftentimes you can get away with one turn of not having orders on your focus piece. But like 
I think in in a lot of those lists, you would not blame someone for taking Son of Skywalker and Ambush or or both of Luke's one pips or you know um hello there and ambush instead of call me captain in fact every time i used to play kenobi and rex together i would drop call me captain because i, I started to yeah if i'm being honest right because be, and, and it's this concept that is is the reason to do that right it gives you more flexibility um in the moments where you kind of need it right um and that's why i kind of said it you know and i'll say it again Building the list obviously is is a part of it, and then the command hand and the battle deck that go with the list is also another part of it. It's it's a very, definitely a three step tier, but of course, since we're talking about you know order control, command cards play such a massive role. Now, of course, like we keep on talking about upgrades, which we'll get to you know later on, and and how you fill out your points and stuff like that. There's ways to get around these certain things, but. You, those those are probably the two most important things, which is probably a good thing you pushed it up, Kyle, you know, the activation count because we had it in a different order on our sheet, right? Is that they go so much hand in hand that you almost do it subconsciously. When you start building lists and you get used to building lists, it, you almost do it subconsciously and not, and not even realize, you know, what that you're doing those two things together, right? I mean, at some point it becomes muscle memory. But, you know, I mean, when I first started making lists, when I first started playing, I, I pretty much started shortly after the game came out. And I'm like, you know, let's throw an airspeeder and Luke and some ATRTs and a list together. And because that's those are all things that are fun. And I came from 40K where there's no such thing as activation control because you go with all your stuff at the same time. And then your opponent goes with all their stuff at the same time. So your only consideration is like, is this a good toy to have in my list or not? Yes or no. And if the answer is yes, you put it in there. Full stop, right? Um, Legion is a very different game because of the back and forth nature of how activations work and because of the random uh, pull of the bag. And like you really can't just run all the toys. You have to kind of pick a toy. Uh, and this can be, you know, we haven't talked yet about Iden ISF, Imperial Special Forces, but your toy can be like a group of units. Right, so in that case, it's Iden and the Imperial Special Forces, and that works because on the turn where it's most important for you to have orders on them, you can hand out four orders, which is tactical strike, right? Um, and then there are other turns like, often that's followed up with coordinated fire, where you run it with three shores, and then you have orders on all six of your core units, which means that you have Iden and ISF by themselves in the back, so you still have order control there, right? Um, Essentially, you want to just you want to think about how many timing neutral units you need, and I I think you probably need at least seven or eight minimum, um, and then after that, you know, take a number of focus units that you can reliably control on enough turns, if that makes sense. And yeah. then you want to you you want to you want to choose your timing neutral units in a way that supports those focus units. So maybe we can get to that next. Um, so after you've picked your focus, then you want to support it, right? It seems natural. There there are a couple of roles your supporting units need to fill. Um, they need to 
They don't necessarily need to do stuff directly for your focus units, although that helps, right? The classic example is Luke Leia Wonder Twins list where Leia has take cover, which hands out dodge tokens. Luke loves dodge tokens. Leia hands him dodge tokens, right? That's a great, like, natural synergy there. Symbiosis um, right there. Yeah. Um, but they don't have to, like, directly support that that focus piece. There are, there are other roles that support units needed to do and those can include things like you know somebody's got to pick up the boxes right <laughs> somebody's got to repair the evaporators um and you need you need dudes th that can do that also like somebody has to throw dice at your opponent right a lot of times focus pieces have sort of an like a small but reliable dice pool but they're not going to be able to just like hammer the opponent with lots of dice now there are some exceptions to this, obviously, well, but it's worth it's worth noting that those exceptions are often the focus pieces, when when they are exceptions, right? Right. Yep. Um, but a lot of times when we talk about support, we talk about building out your core, right? And by that, we literally mean core units, for the most part. Um, there are some lists that can get away with just the minimum three core units. The classic examples like the triple taunt on less, right? Where the Tauntauns are just so threatening and so good at getting in your opponent's face and kind of tying up everything all by themselves that you can sort of get away with just having like three naked rubble troopers to basically do the janitor work in the backfield. Um, but for the most part, you want like a lot of core units because core units tend to be points efficient in terms of both their health and the dice that they throw. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... When when you're talking about the the seven to eight units or six units that are filling out your you know your your core you know you really want units that are flexible timing neutral um, activations and I think you know the the standard example of that is like the Rebel Z six or the Stormtrooper DLT you know I, the, it's a little less so today but. You know, those units are very good. The, like, the units are fine. Like, they're not great. They're not bad. Um, but w when you when you draw, you know, draw them out of your bag, you you can kind of do whatever with it. It's like if you if you need them to just pass the turn, like that's OK. You know, it's like you can waste a core units activation. Like, I'm not telling you to do that, but like oftentimes you can get away in a game with being like, okay, I'm going to take a standby dodge token with on this unit and, and never, ever think you're going to spend the standby token and never, ever think you're going to get shot. And, and you probably be all right. Um, often you're going to be moving and, and doing the boxes. Like Kyle was saying, it, it, you know, the janitor work. I like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, to put it into simple terms, right? it's almost like, so each unit has 12 act actions a game. It's almost like where these units that we're describing almost have like eight out of their 12 actions in that game are kind of mindless, right? You don't have to think overly hard to figure out what they need to do. Maybe eight's being eight, a little... Eight's, oh, eight's a little high. I would, yeah, I would say maybe. I would, I would give them two. Oh, really? I, so it, I guess it depends. I, there's definitely... But the, the, the situation you're describing where you're moving or shooting or you're taking these tokens. See, you say it's only two, but that's because I think you're not realizing how many times 
like you're doing things without thinking because you've done them so many times. And I'm not saying that's the case for everyone, but that, that, that happens a lot when you start using those units a lot, right? And you start building your list out the same and you start fundamentally building your list around these units that flesh out your list. Like the actions that they take are important, but they're not um, necessarily groundbreaking for most of the game is what I'm really getting at. Yeah, and, and I think an important concept here to kind of grasp our mind around here is efficiency is incredibly important when we talk about your support core. Um, and when we say efficiency, we're talking about what I'm mainly talking about is points to activation ratio um, and so, to some degree, like how much damage or damage that unit can take. But oftentimes, you want these units to be somewhere in the realm of 60 to 70 points. Um, if you can get them cheaper from that, I'm looking at you, B1 Battle Droids. That's great. Um, but the reason that that is important is because you need... So, to some degree, uh, a pretty given um, structure for lists these days is you need 10 activations. To kind of take... Zach, what you just said, and extrapolate the each unit gets 12 actions. That means the standard list gets 120, no, sorry, 60, 60? I don't know. What is it? It's, it's 12 times 6, 10 times 6. It's 60. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 60 actions. Or, no. 120. Like you're right the first time. You're yeah. right the first time. I'm like doing all this math quickly in my head, and I'm like, oh, am I screwing it up? No, it's 120. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 120 actions over the course of the game. Every unit that you put in over that is going to raise it by 12. And any unit you put it, you take away from that is going to, you're going to lose by 12. So like the, as you shrink that list, your activations become more important on your core units. And as you expand that list, your activations get less important to some degree because you have more actions. And I point this out because Kyle, you, you give us a great example of a list in, in the Tawn list that um, takes super cheap rebel trooper units that are 40 points. But those lists are also often like 12 activations, right? So like they often still have like nine units that, whose activations matter it, but those three rebel trooper units they're kind of like extra like their activations they wouldn't have had anyways so they kind of can do whatever with them right um whereas you know if you if you look at a clone list right like all of the actions matter a lot like like every action you take in a clone list is insanely important for a variety of reasons but you know they only have nine or ten units generally, so they're on the lower side, but their actions are significantly more impactful on the game overall. Um, and so it it should be when when you're building your core, you need to take into context what your actions action count is over the course of the game. And then, of course, that math gets really messed up when you start accounting for free actions and keywords that add actions basically for free. I, I mean, it's the same thing, but like to bring examples to what you both brought up, ISF and clone list, right? Both have, let's say they're both 10, act, 10 activations, which is what they usually are, right? So it's 120 actions, but it's not really 120 actions because the ISF list in the opening turn, right? Gets tactical and steady. Those are two 
two keywords that add extra actions to those to those units. And clones with Rex and arcs have tactical built in. So you're adding actions, right? Even though they're not technically actions, right? They still take an action, but they're giving you a bonus to that action that is basically a free act. You know what I mean? Like like tactical gives you that free aim. So instead of taking the aim action, you get it for just moving, which is super important for, you know, the efficiency part of your conversation, Mike. Yeah. And efficiency is worth talking about here. And we can sort of touch on upgrades and making sure that you think very hard about what upgrades you're taking, especially when we're talking about core units, because most core units, if we look at the classic rebel troopers and stormtroopers, they don't, they don't really have the ability to do much besides interact with objectives, attack things, or move because they don't have any keywords, right? Like stormtroopers have precise. Okay, you get to roll. <laughs> well, they're fine. Nimble and precise are fine, but they don't let them, like, they don't really do anything extra, right? Like, nimble's great if you have a dodge, precise is great if you have an aim. But at the end of the day, your rebel troopers and stormtroopers are going to be interacting with objectives they're going to be moving they're going to be attacking something so you shouldn't be like you can give them you can and should think about giving them for example like a heavy weapon because the heavy weapon helps them do one of those three things right it helps them attack which is an extremely useful action um but maybe you don't want to give them like target targeting scopes because they might not be taking the aim action a lot um Maybe you don't want to be giving them grappling hooks because, like, do you really need all your rebel troopers and stormtroopers scaling up surfaces and stuff for an extra four points? It is cool. But basically for this reason, it's really common to just give a core unit nothing but a heavy weapon upgrade and just call it a day. Now, I think there are a couple exceptions here. The first is medics. Because core units are the only ones that can take them, and they're great. Um, so that is a, a way that sort of alters a core unit's role outside the normal, you know, move, shoot, objective category. Because now they can also heal other units, hopefully expensive and valuable units like Mandalorians or whatever, right? Luke Skywalker. Um, so medics are an exception to that. Medics are... You know, one to two medics in a list where you have something like that, you know, those expensive units where their wounds are really valuable is a good idea. Um, And also a lot of the other personnel upgrades got cuts too in the recent points updates, as many as three points in some cases. So I think you could potentially look at, you know, like the captains and the specialists in some limited contexts, Um, the officers you know, in some limited contexts. But again, you don't want like every core unit to have an officer upgrade attached, <laughs> right? Maybe take one. Right, because then, cause then if you start engaging and you start losing those high point valued core units, you're all of a sudden you're volleying back at your opponent and you're, you're trading down because they already traded up, um, which is a core concept of Legion. Is it, And what I mean by that and trading down and trading up is that your opponent has killed something that was worth more points than theirs, right? So when you try to volley back, you're not making those points back up because you overinflated a unit that possibly should not have been overinflated. Well, and it's also points that you're taking away from 
your focus pieces, right? Like seven, eight, 16 points for an officer upgrade on a rebel trooper is great, but when you could extend instead be spending that on uh, rockets and offensive push on your Mandalorians, you know, like the, I'd much rather do that, right? Because the Mandalorians are the thing that your core units are supposed to be supporting. So, you know, if you've got to choose between an extra dude and a courage on one rebel trooper squad or rockets and offensive push plus something that's only, that's only 14 points. So, you know, plus like recon Intel, basically all of your upgrades on a Mandalorian unit, you'd much rather have that. Right. So it's, you know, you gotta be like super intentional with all your points, but especially on your core units because they, you know, they're cheap for a reason. They don't like, they do stuff. Yeah, and but I, it's very limited. I think when you're building a competitive list specifically for the first time, so you're you're like putting pen to paper on a list idea, you should never, and I mean never, include upgrades that are not that do not directly increase the efficiency of your core units. The the upgrades that do that are the ones Kyle mentioned. Heavies increase your offensive efficiency. Medics increase your lists of viabilities, like long-term health efficiency. Medics, for the wounds they put back, are generally pretty cheap in that they're like a 20-point upgrade that's putting like 50 points of wounds back on the table, often. Um, they don't always do that, but that that's kind of like the ceiling, right? Um, so if, if they're not doing things that increase those units efficiency you probably should leave them at home i i would say for the most part even just toss the specialists on the first go around right like the specialists are cool and great but like they're they're like they're like the salt that goes on the steak after you know you're like the seasoning right you, you want to make sure your steak is good and, and ready to go before you throw the seasoning on it and and i think that um you know all of Everything other than the heavy and the medic, you can just put it aside until later, until you have a foundational list idea that you think works. Then go back and fill the upgrades in. Yeah, I would say the specialists are even more like the extra exotic seasoning, like marinating your steak in orange juice or something. You know, like if yeah. you're grilling, if you're grilling a steak for the first time, don't do that. <laughs> right. It's delicious, but please just stick to like salt and pepper. Yeah, like you, you just don't need to. And and there are things where you can. It is often right later on to have a specialist in your list to do something cool, but it's more of a of a tweak. Once you've played through this list like ten times, you're like, you know what I really would like is a Courage Two core unit, or you know what I would really like is somebody that can get a free aim token when you know this keeps coming up. I need to fill in a hole, right? And and you can you can go back and reevaluate that. Um, and I think that that's really important when we're talking about competitive list building in general. It's very, very good to start with just the bare bones and then build from there. And there are also core units. We've talked about the quote-unquote basic core units, right? There's, there's essentially four of them. Um, phase 1s, B1s, Rebel Troopers, Stormtroopers, and that's the list. Right. There are also specialized core units, which are essentially the rest of them. Right. You have your kind of like short range, hard hitting linebacker type 
units like B2s, fleet troopers, and snowtroopers. With the exception of B2s, um, possibly after the T-series comes out, you should not be spamming those. Like, you don't want to take six fleet troopers or six snowtroopers. Maybe you want to take one. And if you take that one, you better have a good plan for how you're going to use them. Right? Because their role, even though they're a core unit, their role is very specialized because of how short range they are. Now they hit like a truck, right? Like anyone who's, every time you roll a fleet trooper pool with that shotgun in there, it is so satisfying. You're like, yes, I get to roll this pool. Both because it hits hard, but also because it like never happens. <laughs> you know? And and one of the, the fundamental things that I found playing units like that is that they tend to get focused down by your opponent. And that's probably the hardest thing about those units is that, while they may not be a lot more points than the basic core that we talked about, because I think fleet troopers got a little shave and, you know, snow troopers got a little shave and B2s are, you know, priced pretty well. The issue is that your opponent is going to view them as more of a threat and ultimately um, focus down on them, which makes it tough. Like range two is already tough to get to as it is, but it's even harder when your opponent's like, staring them down the barrel like i gotta focus them down so if you are putting them in that list you need to make sure that when you do play them you have a plan when you put them down in deployment like you you're 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 looking at the board to make sure that they're finding an area that's safe for them because um and whether that's the same in each every game of course it's not going to be it's going to be different every game but at least have a plan for them if you are bringing them so i i think this is an interesting point and um because I feel very similarly about these specialist core units as I do about um, upgrades. Like you just, the first time you build a list, you don't take snow troopers, you don't take fleet troopers, you don't take B2s. Phase twos is a little bit different. Um, and, and they're like something you sprinkle in after you like, you know what I could really use is another, is a short range hard hitting unit. And you like sub out a rebel DLT for like a fleet trooper unit or something. Um, I've never actually done that, but that's how I feel about how, how, how these, just because I don't like fleet troopers, um, uh, jab, jab, jab. Um, but th that's kind of how you should think about these two, right? Like, you should start with the fundamental core units when you're building a competitive list. And if you need some extra oomph or something spicy, you can, you can toss one of these extra cool units in as like a core unit. That's like, like a sub focus. It's not like you're not focusing on it, but it in a pinch, it can act like a focus piece is what these units are doing. Right. They're they're There's something that can hit very hard um, that you can play like ambush on and kind of catch your opponent off guard sometimes with. Um, and that's kind of the reason to bring them oftentimes. Um, or like you're bringing snow troopers with impact grenades so that you can have something that deals with armor, right? Um, so, I, well, yeah. Should we talk about linebacker units here real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I think these I, fall into those categories. To totally, totally. So a type of support unit, and this includes both those short-ranged core units that we mentioned, uh, you know, fleets, snows, and B2s, but also some special forces units like Wookiees, uh, like Imperial Royal Guard. Um, essentially a unit that punches above their weight, but only at very short range. And usually it's 
it's difficult to consistently reach that range proactively, which means like charging your opponent, charging across the table with a unit of Wookiees or IRG or Fleet Troopers. Sometimes it's going to work out, but there are a lot of times when it's not going to work out. And if we're talking about a long-form tournament, you know, if that happens once, you're going to be in trouble, right? So it's, it's much better to use those units defensively, which is why we like to call them linebacker units, against your opponent's aggressive units like Tauntauns or Force Users or something that wants to get into the middle of your army to do stuff because then your Fleet Troopers or your Wookiees or your IRG are there already, right? They don't have to, they don't have to charge across the battlefield to get to something to kill. They're there. The, the things that they want to kill are in their face. Um, so, you know, it's a useful tool to have, especially if you have a list that does not have like a short range threat, you know, as kind of a hedge against your opponent's own short range threats. But it's definitely a tool that you want to use carefully. I'm not saying you can't make a list with three Wookiees, three units of Wookiees in it and charge across the table, but <laughs> you better have a good plan for how that's going to happen. Because in my experience, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> well, and, and I think um, it's worth noting that um, oftentimes linebacker pieces really don't work as focus pieces. Um, that's That's kind of why they're in the linebacker role to begin with, they're not flexible enough to be a focus piece. Um, and I think Wookiees are a great example, right? You're like, oh, it'd be really cool to have three of them. And you, know, you slam them on the table and you're like, I got to get to range two, <laughs> you know? And you're like, eh, you know, um, that's a large chunk of my army that's not doing anything for a large majority of the game. Um, so I think generally the number of these that you want is like one often, um, maybe two if they're cheap, you know, um, and you have like a really good reason to bring them. Um, I think a really great way to think of a linebacker unit, like if a unit is a linebacker unit is, um, is this unit good if I rapid reinforce it? Like it is, is rapid reinforcements like the sweet spot for this unit? If the answer is yes, it's probably a linebacker unit. Um, you know, I would say like a one-off Tawn unit could be a linebacker unit. Like they're still, still very good at what they're trying to do there. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, I don't know. I've started to personally steer clear from linebacker units generally. Um, just because I found that, uh, that's cause you play clones. I know. Yeah. I guess that's not fair. Rex, uh, Rex is his own linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's fair. All right. Anyway, continue. Um, I'm not sure where else I was going with that. I just... Um... I mean, to be fair, in in clone armies, right, the only, like, options of linebacker units are full arcs at range two, which are really good, and D, a DP-23, which is on a, a phase one, um, right? So, like, it's not like they have that secondary unit that is strictly meant to be a linebacker, right? Well, uh, I'm I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, Mike. I mean, I mean Rex Rex is the biggest linebacker of all. Frankly, call me captain is absurd. And and really, when we talk about linebackers, it's just like, can you punish your opponent for moving to range two of you? Right? Is, yeah. is basically what we're talking about. It's I mean, it's what's funny is that you call them linebackers, and, and it's it's fundamentally like the best way to call them for a lot of the way things that you said. But like sitting here and thinking football terms, they're kind of like on a QB spy. 
right? Like they're on the QB spy for the mobile unit to come near them. And that's when they pounce, um, you know, um, and that's what happens a lot of the times. Now I do agree that I have started to fade from linebacker units. Um, I think that's just more about how the game is. And I'm just being blunt. I think the game is more ranged. And I think that a lot of the time, if you're, if you're going to range two, it's because you have a melee focused unit anyways. So like, like I think I think the the range two gun linebacker units are are just tough to manage in the current state of the game. Even with all the changes, like uh, there's a lot of great changes. I just think that it's still a range game for the most part. Yeah, and and I think to some degree, like if we were to go back like a year and a half in the past, and you asked me like how to build a list, I would say like you absolutely have to have a linebacker unit in it because you got to be able to deal with Luke, or you have to be able to deal with, you know whoever but like now i sort of feel like the linebacker units are not good enough generally like linebacker units on the whole are not good enough generally at what they do and and maybe with some of the points reductions that'll be true um that'll be not true anymore uh, but i just like oftentimes like my irg just died to luke after getting son of skywalker you know and i'm like oh well that could have been a stormtrooper unit instead, and I could have had forty points to spend elsewhere. Um, but but that's something that I think you have to learn as you're as you're building out the list. Um. Yeah, that's fair. I do think that linebacker units kind of in, sometimes require their own support. IRG is a good example. You really shouldn't be taking them unless you're taking Palpatine. Like they're they're amazing in a Palpatine list. I think they're a lot less good outside of Palpatine list. Wookiees are similar. Like, Wookiees you still want to be getting orders to, generally speaking. Um, even if you just have one, generally you want to be, you want to have a way to get them tokens because they love dodge and aim tokens. So, um, it's kind of like a mini focus piece a little bit, but they're not as good as at, like, closing the gap and engaging proactively as, like, a proper focus piece would be, if that makes sense. Um, you know, maybe the points changes change that equation. You know, Wookiees got nine points cheaper. They got scale. They got duelist. So that's that's three different buffs there, all of which are good. Yeah. Um, by nine points, I mean combination bowcaster and the naked unit. But I I don't think I would take the naked unit anyway because the bowcaster is so good. Um, but um, yeah, and you know, you can also like some focus pieces double in this role specifically force users right like zach you say you don't take linebacker units but you also play obi-wan he also <laughs> no. he also plays yeah. a linebacker unit in every single game yeah. Um, yeah well not in the linebacker in the sense that we're we're discussing it and, yeah yeah and like i mean but like an example pure example like i used to run rebel officer fleets with luke because they were a good linebacker unit to have with Luke, who could be the scalpel, the hammer, the control, wherever you needed Luke to be, because one of the best things you could do kind of would be the force push trick into the fleet troopers. Now that the game has flown past that situation, now uh, is basically what I was trying to get at. I mean, um, to be fair, I think I don't know if flown past is fair. I think we're gonna regress a little bit. Um, I mean, I hope so. I mean, yeah. I, I really do, um, because. I loved putting the fleets on the table with Luke. I love the force push shenanigans and, you know, and of course I've done that with Obi-Wan, but like, um, 
I like that kind of variety is what I'm getting at. Right. I like to see that variety, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, um, I guess what I was trying to say with the linebacker thing is that, um, many armies at this point with the number of varied, uh, like units that they can take have units that can function as a ranged unit and then can like flip modes and then like enter into the, the, you know, um, linebacker unit, like, like Mandalorians, like I've got jetpack rockets. We work at range four and we're like super mobile. And in a pinch, like we're just going to wreck you at range two with our pistols. Right. Um, similar thing with arc troopers, like Rex is super supporty, but like, He's got the linebacker thing going on. All the force users are very much in that in that role. Um, you know, I think if if BX command like BX full commandos kind of feel similar in that. Um, so I, th- I think that like the units in the game that have just been specifically linebacker units, basically they're like that is what they are. Um, feel kind of limiting, um, and I tr- I personally try and stay away from them. Yeah, and it's, I think partially it's because it's possible to be kind of too good at something in absence of other things. Like, Wookiees are better at Mandos, better than Mandos at punching things in melee. But Mandos are also, like, good enough most of the time at that, right? Like, they're not as good as Wookiees, but most of the time they're still good enough. And they're better at Wookiees at other things, right? So Basically everything. I mean, it's... I think that's debatable. Wookiees are more durable. That, that's uh, I guess taking they're, damage. They're, yeah, they're they're much less vulnerable to bad dice. Yo, did you um, see Gordon's game today where he took four hits and rolled four blanks on his bandits? Oh, oh it was no. Real feel bad. Real feel bad. Oh, four no. hits came through and he rolled nauseous. four blanks on his mandos. And it was just like, white. Oh, yeah. brutal. Yeah, right? That can happen. If you did that on Wookiees, you'd lose one Wookiee. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, don't worry. Everybody in Twitch chat did the same thing you're doing right like, now, Zach. Well, you know, it brings it brings up to like this is a little side tangent, real quick. I'm gonna hit it real quick. Is uh, you know, it was talked about the other day about playing Reckless Diversion on like Clan Ren or like a set of Mandos. And while I understand it because like they're defensive, what happens if you take a shot and you roll all blanks? Well, your Reckless Diversion now killed like one of your best units right and i know that's just like a niche case but it was just a discussion i'm just like and and for you to say that he had four hits come through and he rolled four blanks and just it all came full circle and it like made me just sick because but that that's the problem and they're not trying to say it's a problem with mandos but it's the problem when you rely on like a low model count unit that relies on their saves their save will fail eventually and it's gonna hurt that oh that made oh yeah, that's brutal. Uh, before we all have nightmares about rolling all blanks on Mandos, uh, let's let's co- sort of round out the core discussion just by hitting Shore Troopers and Rebel Vets, and how do they kind of fit into this equation? I noticed you left out Phase 2s, Kyle. Well, so I did, <laughs> but that's because... So let's talk about Phase 2 super fast. You're going to call them a Special Forces unit? Well, they're kind of a Special Forces unit masquerading as a core unit, but... That's that's a little bit of an oversimplification. They're really just more like a super phase two, right? Now, a Z6... I'm sorry, a super phase one. A Z6 phase two is 14 more points than a Z6 phase one now. It used to be 10. Um, 
So this conversation was not quite as interesting before the points update. But it's, they don't really it's still plenty interesting. No, I agree. They don't really do anything like fundamentally different role wise than like a phase one, right? Um, they shoot things. They do it it really well. I know you're, but after standby sharing is gone. Well, I was I was uh, gonna say like, like the training slot is not trivial here. Yeah. No. Well, and it lets them expand their role beyond sort of the normal. And you're uh, talking like courage two and reliable in that in that training slot, right, right. fourteen points, like, like slowly, like oh. ev- like evaporates basically. Un- unquestionably, they're better, but I guess I'm saying, and even their training slot, you're usually these days going to be putting offensive push in there, right? Which makes them kill things better. But at the end of the day, you know, there's they have the same range as phase two, phase ones. Um, they have the same move speed. They have the same number of wounds. They just they kill things better, yeah. And they they and they get more actions because they have courage too. So like their role is not fundamentally different. They're just better phase ones, right? Yeah, I I think I would agree with that. They they're they basically when you have a critical mass of them, which is to say three or more generally, two mm-hmm. you can get away with two. They're just the points are like just right that they are just efficient enough to like the extra points you're paying is is worth it, right? Like, the, the surge tokens are increasing your offensive and, more importantly, your defensive viability. Like yeah. You're, you're three-upping your entire army, basically, when you have three or more phase twos in there. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not saying you shouldn't take them. I'm saying, like, they're no, great. I'm agreeing with you, just to be clear. Yeah, okay. Yeah, they're, they're just... Yeah. Their role is essentially very similar to phase ones. Um, whereas Shore is and vets and their corresponding emplacements structurally are, are very different than like rebel troopers and stormtroopers. So let's talk about them real quick. Yeah. I mean, um, man, rebel vets are so busted now. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I would go that far. Yeah, I haven't even, yeah, I haven't seen them enough. They're, to really, I, you know. they're competitive and they used to be garbage. So that's a pretty yeah. big jump. Yeah. I don't know if I would go as far to say they're busted, but anyway, continue. I think they're busted. Anyways. Um, I mean, I, I think that these these units are specifically, at, at their core, um, efficiency units. Um, yeah. Uh, so, like, these are, like, if you were to, these are the cheapest ways to take two core units that have heavy weapons in them, right? Because the emplacement is basically a heavy weapon, and the, the shore or the vet is with the heavy weapon is they're just like they're cheaper than you know a rebel dlt like two rebel dlts or two um storm trooper like dlts or rtcs put together um so this is a great way to up your activation count um clearly uh the shore combo is a little bit more expensive than it used to be i think it's what it was like four points more expensive now um five or six i think yeah yeah um it used to be like a no-brainer as far as like how much cheaper it was. Um, I think if you're taking shores now, it's really because you need a ton of offensive firepower on your list. And frankly, Imperials tend to need that. They don't really have support units that do a lot of oomph. Um, whereas I think rebels, rebels sometimes do. Um, in fact, rebels always rely on their support units. Uh, a lot of the times so I'm looking at you, Tauntauns. Um, 
I don't know. I'm not sure really what there is to say about these other than they're efficiency driven units. And if you want to like, they're, they're good for range four poke. Um, I mean, what, what you're doing basically is you're paying a little bit more for a core unit to then enable another activation on the cheap, right? Like it, it's fundamentally doing two things in a sense, because you're padding your activation, which in competitive Legion is super, super important, even if the unit can be squishy, um, which there are plenty of squishy units in Legion, right? Um, but they're essential to certain list builds. And you're also getting units that can contribute though. Um, like, you know, vets and shores hit like a truck at range three, right? Um, like seriously, they hit, they hit like trucks. Um, those shores shores more than vets but yeah um those (laughs) as mike rolls his eyes their pool is not that different at range three just to be it's well there's two ways it's different i i understand the the dice are better for shores and shores have target so um those are not insignificant i mean to give you some perspective vets hit uh very slightly better like like one eighth of a dice better than um dlt rebel troopers at range three so it's 3.86 versus four average hits now you need to keep in mind now that we talk about some math you need to keep in mind that sometimes mortars and mark twos can have you know can be either a liability or they won't necessarily do what you're looking for them to do and you need to understand that like sometimes they're going to have games where they struggle they're going to have games where they're heroes like they're the a unit that you just really don't care what they do because they're enabling the other unit in the army. Um, I think the biggest factor and difference is shore troopers fit the Imperial mold as in Imperials typically want orders on their core to core units and vets um, while defend isn't as important as target. It is still something that is, you know, good to have, but you typically won't have orders on your vets in certain list builds. And I'm, I'm sure there's more list builds now where vets end up with orders because of like a, you're bringing, you know, units that actually boost rebel core units, which is a wild thing to say these days. But, um, you know, like T40, if let's say you're running like a Hoth list, right. I know I've seen Hoth list running around your vets will actually have orders in that list. Right. Um, as an example. Um, but yeah, they fit certain roles. Um, I'm not an emplacement guy, so I don't know if I would play either one of them, but that's just me. Yeah, I mean, it's it's worth mentioning kind of the... So unquestionably, Shores and Vets are better than like just a generic Storm or Rebel Trooper with a Heavy, right? For a variety of reasons. They have a training slot. They get free tokens when they get orders, being the primary two. Um you know, you can you can put a DLT on a Rebel Trooper unit and do like a CM ninety three light kind of uh, situation. So it's not it's not just a question of raw offensive firepower. It's those keywords: defend and coordinate. Um, but the emplacements, you know, thirty something points for thirty eight points now for both of them. That's great for an activation. And if you're if you're paying the premium to get Vats or Shores. Part of what you're paying for is access to an accompanying 38-point activation. 
But it's not like all upside, right? Those 38-point activations don't hit as hard as sort of a generic core unit with a heavy. They can't move and shoot. They can't pick up box boxes or repair evaporators. They can't use cohesion to get cover. And they're generally more fragile. So, you know, there are drawbacks, right? And I, I think... I think whereas previously you're like, yeah, you totally just take three shores and three mortars 10 times out of 10. I think that conversation is a little more nuanced now. I definitely think there are situations where you still do that, like the Iden ISF list, because of coordinate specifically, you know, where you can play coordinated fire and then your bag is three special forces tokens and a commander. It's also Um, worth noting that the... uh points it shaves off is is important there it gets you it gets you to 10 activations right you can't get that way if you take like storm dlts um and i think there's you know rebels can think a little more about mixing and matching you know where you just take like one or two rebel vets and then fill the rest with rebel troopers there are definitely situations where you go three and three too um i think the orders are much less essential on vets because defend is fine but it's not as good as target so if you just take a vet for the range four gun, the access to the 38 point activation, I think that's fine. Um, I don't know if I would want three of them just because I don't think I'd want three MK2s in my list, but, you know, I don't know. Yeah, they're, mean, not as, they're not as deletable as they used to be. It's still four white save wounds on a unit that can't use cohesion to get cover. Yeah, it, it's to be fair, it's not about their fragility like um, for me. It's it's the the lack of flexibility, and that's yeah. just me as that's just me as a player. Like that that has nothing against the unit. I mean, vets and the emplacements are perfectly fine, especially after the changes. It just and that's a whole other discussion too is figuring out your play style, right? But like it just doesn't fit into how I play Legion. Emplacements don't, you know. All right. Uh, yeah, agreed. I'm with you on that. I like my core to be flexible. Um, I don't like my only options to be stay stationary and shoot or move and take a standby. <laughs> Which is essentially what your options are with emplacements. M- move so. and take a standby sounds wonderful. Who who does that? I mean, they can't share that standby, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Padme and Anakin can, okay. That said, I do think, you know, lists are dropping snipers. And I think that Sentinel, in large quantities is a little more interesting in a non-sharing capacity than it used to be. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I mean, I think, uh, it's going to be interesting if the only snipers that are left at the end of this, uh, are arcs, but, um, I mean, or rebel snipers too, potentially. If you're not running full mandos, you're still running some rebel strike teams. that's true. Like two. Yeah. And, and the key component there actually though, is that, Mandos at least have a, a way to deal with standbys with rockets if they need to, right? I mean, you don't really want that to be how you're using your rockets, mind you. Um, but it's it's a tool you have if you don't have snipers, I suppose. If yeah. if you need to. And it's not like I mean the Iden SF list has mortars and T twenty one Bs, both of which can strip standbys at range four. So um but anyway, we're getting a little off topic here. Let's round out our discussion of kind of support with supporting characters so what do we mean when we talk about like a supporting character i mean the best example uh and it's hard to kind of 
use any other example probably is Rex, right? Rex, I, and I know you're smiling, you're laughing, Mike, but is he not like the consummate like support character? I know that you, I, you I mean, discussed yes, he can be yes, linebacking, he's, but he's he is disgusting. Is what he is. Yeah. So let, all right, let, why don't we put Rex aside because he is disgusting, right? Why don't we go back? To, why don't we circle back to like Leia, right? Leia is a great support piece because one, she's 90 points, probably 95 because you're probably throwing strict orders on her for the most part, right? So let's call her 95 base. Um, she's feeding dodge tokens to units that have nimble for the most part, right? She's probably feeding them to Mandos or Sabine or Luke Skywalker. I mean, Luke doesn't have nimble, but I mean, dodge tokens on Luke are great. Like the units she's given dodge tokens are great. Now, if she's giving them to core units, they all have nimble. So you're getting, you're basically getting nimble. Nimble is just, just, just as a tangent, I guess, but nimble is bet like a keyword that's best used when you get the free dodge token, right? So Leia enables nimble in the way that it's probably designed to be right um but then you it's not just what leia brings to the table on her unit card though you look at her command cards right a coordinated bombardment while it's not as great as it used to be it's still a good card and it's an early one pip where you can kind of get like a quote-unquote alpha striker you can use those dice to your advantage right no time for sorrows is probably still arguably one of the best support cards in the in the game because you get a free move and the verbiage of the card doesn't mean that you have to get an order from Leia. You can abuse that with HQ uplinks and, and stuff like that, right? On Tauntauns, which you see, you know, we've seen. And, and the, the best way I could say it is that Leia enables everything around her. And that's where her point value comes in, right? And that's what you want in a support character is that what they do on the battlefield doesn't have to be, you know, pew, pew. It could be supporting everything around you. Um, things that come to my mind, you know, Rex and Leia are very similar. Um, Padme, um, is, you know, a, a support piece. Well, no, no, not, no, no, I'm not talking. Rex, you're, you're, Leia, similar characters. Yeah. What? I'm talking about that. They, they support In their the, role and their yeah, role, they, Mike. Jeez. <laughs> but yeah, trust me. I wish Leia had tactical and aim sharing for the troopers around here. I I get it. Can can um, can rebels just get some aims? Come oh on. my god! Well, yeah, so just give me one unit with spotter. <laughs> so, so first of all, you can all take electro binoculars. Uh, <laughs> all right. So now my Leia costs 103 points because you want me to take binox. Uh, that's so, that's mostly a joke. But I do think that the the what a support hero is has dramatically changed totally since, it has since day one like the quintessential support hero used to be leia and veers right leia synergizing with the dodge tokens like you were talking about veers synergizing with the aim token synergy on the imperial side i would make the argument that the quintessential support heroes have moved to heroes that look like cassian and rex no i Um, totally agree you know i i I mean this might surprise some people but cassian is definitely a support hero most of the time he is a timing neutral hero that um provides your army with um you know some efficiency in that he can take k2 at a pretty cheap cost k2 is really good um he you know just like plinking away with a sniper rifle every turn is a way to support your army right like it you don't have to just be handing out tokens we say support and everybody's thinking token generator token generator token generator you know um uh on the flip side of that like rex just does everything really well it's stupid how 
how well he does everything. And and to some degree, like your the command cards that these units and Zach, you touched on this too, is like the command cards are very toolboxy, right? Like Leia has no time for sorrows and um her three pip really doesn't get used anymore. But like her yeah. coordinated bombardment card is really good. Cassian's toolbox is also very toolboxy like volunteer mission like recovers all your dudes and gives your guys danger sense and and all that and last stand throws down you know tokens on wounded units and and it often synergizes super well with you know whatever scalpel or focus piece you have right um and so and similarly like <laughs> rex his cards enable your focus piece and and a lot of the times when we when we talk about support heroes you're gonna hear oh, they have cards that enable your focus piece to do other things, right? Leia, No Time for Sorrows um, with Luke, or, you know, um, I guess Veers really didn't have that, but that was because we didn't really have another option at the time, I think, for the most part, with, like, Veers Boba or Veers Bosk. I mean, I guess Veers Bosk is probably what it is now, and you're, you're handing name tokens off to Bosk. But, you know, Veers has also kind of gone by the wayside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean he's yeah. definitely had a an awesome period of time but yeah it's i mean if you're gonna take a hero in that slot it's is in imperials now it's gonna be krennic i think his command cards yeah. are so or, much better or a generic with electro binoculars yeah yeah because it's for 40 <laughs> points less <laughs> yeah basically yeah. the same dude it's if Fierce's command cards were better this would be a different conversation but anyway we're we're digressing here and talking about units that are bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Point being, you know, your support heroes are, are these days far more offensively capable than they used to be, um, and intend to be able to flex out of a support role when they need to. Um, that's not to say that you can't take the Leia, the Veers of of olden days. They just they don't do the same as kind of the new new wave of support heroes i would also put like like Jin in the support hero category han is a support hero i like they feel like they're supposed to be like your focus pieces but really their command hands and their short range are telling you hey i am a support hero with these sweet command cards and i line back for you and i you know i i'm able to deal with things that are closer or i can deal with objectives um you know they're not and they don't need face-up orders all the time, you know. Uh, I think Han would be infinitely better if his one pip didn't have to go to Han, <laughs> you know. Um, well, it's the initiative; it doesn't have to anymore. Well, right, and and I think that like that kind of like breaks him open a little bit there. Um, he's probably still really expensive, but um, he's definitely a support hero, and all of his cards aren't directly affecting him; they're affecting other things. Yeah, and Cassian's a little bit unique in that he's specifically a support hero for other characters. Um, like volunteer mission works on special forces, which is great. You know, it's good on Mandalorians. It's good on Biston. Uh, but last stand doesn't work at all on anything except operatives and commanders. And it's an amazing effect, uh, but it only works on operatives and commanders and volunteer mission is also great on characters. So He's interesting in that he kind of leans into where rebelists were trending already anyway, which is character focused. And then of course he can also kill stuff. So um yeah, I think I think it's safe to say that if you're like a hundred points or less, you're a support character. 
excluding Aiden. Uh, I know that Aiden is 100. We'll say 110 points or less. How about that? Um, excluding Aiden. Um, but, uh, yeah. I mean, you don't always need a support character, but it's usually a good idea. Most lists have one, especially those those newer ones, which do so many other things, too. Yeah, and I actually think that, like, if you're new to the game, I would probably leave these at home. Like, as far as, like, support support characters may be the hardest characters in the game to play. From, like, purely a conceptual, like, knowing what you need to do with them perspective. Um, like, it's very easy to have Luke and be like, I need to smash things, you know? Or, like, you know, not that... Clearly, you don't want a Luke Rage. But, like, um, I think with support heroes, specifically the newer tier, like Rex and Cassian, it's very easy to, like, see red on, for Crackshot or see red on Call Me Captain and, like, kind of dive into, like, one role or be too supporty or be too offensive with them. You really have to toe the line way more than you used to, right? Leia should just be, like, back there handing out dodge tokens, and sometimes she takes a range to pot shot. Um, but the new, the new guys is a little way more complicated than that. Um, similarly with like Jin, like th these are all super difficult characters to play on the table. Um, which is, I think why we don't see a ton of them, but if you're, if you're building your first list, maybe stay away from the support heroes. Um, if, if you're experienced with the game, go for it. I think, um, yeah. And specifically we were talking about the hybrid ones sort of the new, you know, the new model, the Jins, or I'm sorry, the Cassians and Rexes of the world, basically. Um, let's, let's move on real quick to, actually, uh, let's kind of close out, I guess, with talking about some timing neutral fire support options. The quintessential example here is, um, Sniper strike teams. <laughs> you said timing neutral fire support options, and I was like, "We're talking about clones again." Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm <laughs> sorry. I don't mean, I don't mean literally the fire support keyword. I mean like, you know, things that shoot stuff at long range. Yeah, I, I figured that out like, yeah, ten seconds after you said it, I was really confused at first. I was like, "This is not on our list to talk about." Yeah. So I mean, this the quintessential example is sniper strike teams, right? Because they're cheap. Um, they have long range, which means that they're generally timing neutral. They can go in your back and you're not super sad about it most of the time. And, um, you know, they have relatively reliable damage for something that's cheap. Is there anything in this role that you're considering besides sniper strike teams? I mean, I, I think that it used to be that we considered, like, death troopers sort of like I don't know, the special forces slot has always been super competitive. I think I I want to say DTs, but that's not even true. Like DTs are far more like full arc squads and the and the armies that they exist in, in that like you're still trying to put orders on them. Um, yeah, but there was there. I mean, there there was a point to your to your point. There was a point where like throwing relay on them to put a order on a medic. Yeah. So like there was there was definitely cases where it was okay to pass the token, right? Yeah, I think so, and and I think that um, I think the closest thing we have to this is is like 
r2d2 maybe i was in, gonna in... say inferno squad like like lists that run like a 1x of mandos or, or isf mandos aren't really long-range firepower but um yeah they i guess they're more linebackers but yeah i think i think imperial special forces sort of if you're not running like the generic iden alpha deal um because i can i can definitely see like i would rather personally i would rather have a unit of isf instead of death troopers or um or royal guard in addition to the two sniper strike teams i take i I think that's fine you know um i I think the ability to just like sprinkle infiltrate into your army sort of for free is super valuable um and it allows them to kind of get into a position where they can they can strike an enemy hard point when they need to but i think outside of that you know um it's 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 tough i think if you're building if you're if you're just starting out i would just take two to three sniper strike teams and call it a day yeah i mean it kind of sort of i don't know i hate saying that but it's like always true you know it's like you're building a competitive list fill it out with a focus piece six core units and three strike teams and you're pretty much done you know um yeah i i mean like that's like it's hard it's hard to go wrong doing that it's the best way to kind of play the learn how to play the game competitively though like the bare bones idea and this is coming from someone that hates the idea too mike i i agree like i i hate saying it i don't really want to advocate it but it, it is true like that is i mean deep down is fundamentally how i learned how to play competitive legion i just threw luke in a list with a bunch of core and snipers and it's the same advice you guys gave two years ago because i know because i'm the one that took it right um, and I listened and it worked and then, and then I branched out and then I, you know, I'd bring Leia and then I, you know, did my own thing with Sabine and, it, and you learn how to do all these different things that we've discussed this whole episode. Like, like, I mean, think about it, you know, the three of us were all at, you know, square one at, you know, essentially at some point in this game. And we've learned these things across, you know, across the time of playing the game. It, it takes that time and that effort and that practice to understand these these core concepts of list building to then branch out to do other different things. Right. And I, I do think while we're shorthanding advice here, I think separatists don't necessarily need to do that. Yeah, no, that's, BX, totally, BX, that's totally fair. Totally. BX, BX sniper strikes are Bad. fine. No, they're not. I wouldn't say that they're great in certain contexts, but I don't they, think they're as necessary for separatists as they are for yeah, uh, the other and, factions. It's to be fair. It's the the lack of coordinate can change the fundam like the fundamental situation of the army, right? Or what you're trying to do. Like if you have Dooku and like a bunch of core, and then like BXs, but somehow you can't get those orders to those BXs, which I know it's manageable. But let's say now your 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 token pool and your bags a little bit more complicated than it is if you have stuff that has coordinate, right? Yeah, and it's also just because you can, you know separatist units are cheap enough that you can get to 10 activations without taking strike teams like you can Real. take you can take droidicas or staffs in that same kind of slot and still get to 10 plus activations yeah uh you know empire can't do that <laughs> for the most part yeah it should, uh, it should there be. are exceptions obviously like the idnessa if cephalus which is 10 activations and doesn't have any strike teams in it but you also have three mortars which are 38 points so 
Sorry, what were you going to say, Mike? No, I was just going to say that, like, one of the main upsides of strike teams is that they're just super cheap and they get you to the, the 120 action capacity that you're looking for, right? Um, yeah. And, and if you can do that with other units, that's fine, right? Like, yep. you, you can you and can I, put in stabs or whatever. And, it, and, and it I think Separatists sort of can uniquely do that with other units. Yeah, because so. all this stuff is less super necessary. cheap. Yeah. So, and please, people, please corner beak with your strike teams. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what that means, it's basically because of the heavy weapon team special rule, the guy with the sniper rifle or the sab mine, if you're playing sabs, is the unit leader, which means that if he gets he gets killed, he just replaces the other guy and you get to keep your sniper rifle. So because of how wound allocation works, you know, you can only kill models you can see. So if you hide the second guy behind a line of sight blocker and you put your sniper out, you know, where he can shoot something, if the sniper gets pasted by eight hits and you roll eight blanks, the only model that dies is the sniper. <laughs> and then he still replaces the other guy and you still have a strike team. So please do that. I saw a post on, on Facebook where someone was like, man, strike teams are really bad. Um, you know, I'm, they're so fragile. Like I put them behind barricades and stuff, but they just get one shot all the time. And it's like, Please just corner peek. Yeah, if, strike teams should never get one shot if you're doing it properly. Yeah, pretty unless much. they get unless they get flanked or something by something really fast. Um, I mean, it does happen, you know, like where you think, but it's usually like a mistake, right? right. Like you think you think your second guy's hidden and he's not. Um, this is normally where I would make an LVO joke. <laughs> well, that was a situation where, you know, David thought his second guy was hidden and they weren't. Oh no no no! This was this was a situation where David forgot I had an entire deployment zone on that side. Okay, of the well, but clearly a mistake. It was not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was yeah. not for him. Totally unintentional. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I've had situations too where I think both guys are hidden and they're not. So, but yeah, at least try corner peek, please, with your strike teams. This is not a. You know, this episode's not about strike teams, but please corner peek with your strike teams before you say that they're bad. Um, all right, let's let's sort of really fast just talk about without talking about specific upgrades because we could go down that road forever. Let's talk briefly about the concept of upgrades. Like, um, yeah, so I mean, I think that upgrades have to have a very important and specific purpose if you're going to put them in your list, right? Like we talked before about heavy weapons and like medics, those are a little bit different in that they're much more efficiency based. Um, just about every other upgrade um, that's not like a personnel slot upgrade or a heavy weapon slot upgrade does something that actually decreases your efficiency generally, um, but increases the potency of of a certain unit. So, like, I think a really good place to start here is is force powers. Um, most units that have four slots, like this is the only, I think, slot that I would advocate this for. If you have a four slot, you should pretty much always fill it. Um, like those, those, the force upgrades are uniquely, extraordinarily powerful for the points you're paying for them. Um, and a lot of the time the points you're paying for the characters that have those upgrades, upgrade slots, uh, you're, you're paying for access to those upgrade slots. We say that all the time. Um, I think I've heard Kyle say it about 6 billion times. Um, I think the only upgrade slot that sort of comes close to, to the force slot is the command slot. Um, I think you fill it probably like 80% of the time. 
Um, I think those are the two slots that whenever you have a list, you should look to those slots first and say, I should fill these or I should have a, these are the slots that I need a good reason not to fill. Um, whether that's because I don't have enough points or because I like really don't have, don't want any of the effects that come with these slots. But I think most of the time, you know, unless you're playing like Palpatine, like you, you want to just fill those slots most of the time. Once you get past those two slots, you have to have a really good reason to take an upgrade. Um, you know, I think a great example of this is phase two clones with offensive push. Um, the reason you're taking offensive push on two to three units is they're synergizing with Rex's command card. Take that clinkers. It gives them the aim token to extend their range. So you have like a range five, take that clinkers. That's a very specific reason you took that upgrade card. If take that clinkers didn't exist, I'm not sure you take offensive push. Um, I mean, we, we could get into a conversation about whether you do or not. But I think for list building purposes and, and, and what we're talking about now, there's no real reason to do it in that example if you if Take That Clankers doesn't exist. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have examples of some other things that kind of like fit that description? I mean, armament slots are kind of like that with Mandos and Rockets, for example, or, you know, characters with their special weapons like Cassian with his sniper. I think most of the time you're filling those. But, you know, there are some exceptions to that, right? Like BX Roids have an armament slot for shields or swords. I think you're often leaving that blank. Certainly on strike teams you are. Um, so yeah, I think the general, without talking too much about specific upgrades, the general premise here is, as you noted, with those handful of exceptions like force upgrades, you, you need a very intentional, good reason to fill a slot, an upgrade slot. Like, don't feel bad when you put a Rebel Trooper unit on the table and the only upgrade slot he's got filled is Heavy Weapon, right? And again, coming from 40k, I'm looking at this guy, at a Rebel Trooper unit, I'm like, well, he's got a grenade slot, he's got a gear slot, he's got a personnel slot. Like, what, what am I, just not using those? Like, when I pay the points for a Rebel Trooper, I pay the points for a grenade slot and a gear slot and a personnel slot and I'm not using them then I'm leaving something on the table and it's that's not that's not really how Legion works um, like you, you need a very intentional specific reason to take an upgrade and you just you gotta even something like recon intel which is only two points right two points feels like a drop in the bucket but it adds up really fast and this is also a game where bidding is important and two points could be the difference between red player and blue player which, depending on what your list is like, could be the difference between you winning and losing a game. So, you know, even two points is important. Like you have it, to have a, you have to have a super good reason to take a specific upgrade. It's funny because like I'm sitting here thinking about how like early in my list building how it's changed. Right, I used to always find myself like taking improvised orders and like recon intels on rebel troopers, right? Like that, that was the thing to kind of do. And now it's kind of shifted where you don't, you know, I'm not saying you don't always not do it, but like for the most part, you go to put like a recon intel on something and you're like, ah, well that two points can go towards a bid or let's say you have like three rebel trooper units that you had recon intel on. Well, that's six points you can put somewhere else. And you always end up finding yourself trimming the fat, more so now probably than ever before um just because of how important it is 
to allocate those points to where you need them to be. Um, it's certainly changed a lot in those, in the two years since, you know, since we're discussing from the original article, right. A lot has changed <laughs> since that's come out. Um, and I would, I, I would argue that two points back then mean a lot more now, um, in, in list building, um, which is kind of crazy to sit and think about, but it's true. Um, and that's good. I mean, the game's changed in that, and that's good. Um, in terms of upgrades, I, it's, it's so hard to kind of like discuss it past what Mike was saying. Like whenever I build like a Rex and like Kenobi list, for an example, like I put force push on Kenobi and tenacity on Kenobi. Right. And then I put like, I would put aggressive tactics and, and recon Intel on Rex. Those are like the four stapled cards. And then I would build outward. Like you, if you take like a unit, like uh, if you're bringing like a, a list that you want to build around Luke, build Luke completely out. Like you're saying, well, Palpatine build Palp completely out and then go outward. And then at the end, if you're over points, then you start saying to yourself, where do I trim and how do I get to where I want to be? Now, if you end up cutting something from them, that's fine. But for the most part, you're going to want to probably trim those points somewhere else because you want that focus, you know, that focus piece to be able to do the things that you want it to do. Um, and, and again, that will change as you build lists differently and, and try some things out and, and work on how you want to play the game and, and how you want to build lists. It definitely will change. I mean, for sure. Um, you know, uh, but it's getting to that point and understanding, you know, not throwing an uplink over here versus a relay over there and a recon here and an offensive push there. Everything has to have a purpose and you'll find that purpose. It's just tinkering away. Um, another prime example, and it's an old example was when I was playing Luke Sabine, I originally started that list without a rebel officer and it was like Luke Sabine. Then I slotted in a rebel officer. And then once I slotted in the rebel officer for that extra command bubble, then I was like, well, why don't I throw in, you know, strict orders, even though Sabine had a dark saber and Luke had courage three, believe it or not, the extra five points that I spent on strict orders paid itself in dividends. It wasn't just a five point upgrade. It was just extra security. And, you know, it's a long way of saying that, the more you play games, the more examples you examples of your you'll get to like tinker and slot things in, slot things out that makes sense for your list. Yeah, you just want to be as simple as possible initially, and then just kind of build out from there and make tweaks that suit your playstyle. Don't don't just don't just go in there and you know, like if you're excited to to try four different awesome units, pick one, and try them one at a time. You know, don't try them all at once. Because <laughs> yeah. then you'll think they're all bad at the same time. And you're, right. you're probably right. wrong, to be honest. Yep. And, and the, the key concept, um, which I haven't, you know, followed in, a, in like what feels like the longest time. And I've talked about this on the cast previously because I have like no end game with like, you know, real life tournaments and stuff not being a thing. Right. But the core, the core concept to everything that we're talking about today is taking that list and practicing with it over and over and over, whether it's the same list or not. I'm not saying it has to be the exact same list, but taking the idea of this, of the list and practicing it over and over until you get to that point. Um, you know, I'm not saying to do that every single game that you play of Legion, but take these ideas and fundamentals to put into every list that you do if you're aiming towards a goal, right? If you have a goal that you want to meet, take all these ideas and continually build on them and play a list as many times as you can to understand the complete list building of what you're working with. Um, 
you know, that was probably the most important thing of tournament prep, which is what we're really discussing, um, which I guess is coming up with Invader League, right? Like, Kyle, I'm sure you want to get some practice in and Mike, I'm sure you want to get some practice in, um, you know, before it comes up. And that's the thing is that you're going to start building a list and you're going to start practicing it and practicing it. And you're going to make these little tweaks that make sense for your list to play in a tournament, right? Um, and, and that's what all these ideas basically compound to is, Sure, you can bring, you can listen to this podcast and do all these things, but it's, it's um, putting in, I don't want to say repetitiveness, but, you know, applying them as often as you can to what you're doing. Yep. Practice is, practice is perfect. Practice makes perfect. I almost had that one on the first try. Almost. Uh, Close. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, you guys got any final thoughts on, sort of competitive list building for dummies um you know i I think that uh a lot of this is easy to say um it's you have to be very diligent about practicing practicing this in like a real world application it's very easy to just like want all the cool stuff and like put it all on the table um and and i think it's important to stress that what we've outlined here is really just step one of the list building process um, in that this is where you start building a competitive list. Like um, every competitive list pretty much has started here um, unless it's iterating on something that already exists. And, you know, um, that iteration, um, whether you're doing it from scratch or to somebody else's list that's already been iterated to some degree, you know, um, when, when Zach's saying it takes time, it, like you have to play like at least 10 games with a, with a, something you've put together to even begin to really start making changes to it, unless it's something incredibly obvious. Um, but I think it's important to, to understand that this is, this is the beginning of a long process if you're not just net listing. Um, and, and that you need to be, understanding that you're probably going to fail throughout the process and that like thing you're going to actively put things in the list that aren't going to work and you need to be okay with that and you need to be like all right how do i change this you know you know i put three snipers into it and every game i'm just getting plucked apart by arc snipers or whatever because that's my local meta maybe maybe you need to just take them out and and start over in those slots you know um or, or your core units aren't working because you took a bunch of fleet troopers instead of rebel troopers. I, I don't know. It, you just you need to be ready to, to fall on your face a little bit throughout this process. We've all put together a list that we've played like 10 times, and at the end of it we're like, you know what, maybe this isn't that good. Um, and at that point you need to decide whether to scrap it or move on with it. And, um, you know... Uh, a lot of the time it will probably be uh depending on what it is if you know I, I think it's important to also stress that like most of the work has been done for you to some degree if you look online and like find the good lists um if you're going through this process uh it's because i assume you want to be original it's tough to be original and i think you should understand that moving into it although if you do net lists Right. If you do like look at a successful list and then copy it, make sure you do it understanding why it's built the way that it is. 
you know, don't just go online and look up a top 10 tournament report and look at the number one list and be like, I'm going to play that and then put it on the table without, you know, at a minimum, like watch the games of that player to see how they use it. Right. But understanding the core concepts of why competitive lists are constructed the way they are, I think is really important. Um, Otherwise you're going to copy someone else's list that they made for themselves and, (laughs) you know, you may not know what to do with it. So why are all these overwatches here? (laughs) I don't get it. Um, I guess my final thoughts would be three words, accept, apply and evaluate, accept the shortcomings of anything that you build, um, apply the changes that you think will help it and then evaluate at the end of what you're testing to see if it's actually going to be what you want to do. Yeah. And I think like we we've talked, one of our earliest episodes was about kind of assessing losses and maybe we should revisit that topic at some point, but one of the biggest things when you're assessing a list is to kind of take on as much responsibility for the result as possible. Um, you know, my opponent diced me or my opponent's units are overpowered are not useful. That's not useful for like good improvement, right? You're not going to improve your list or improve your own play if that's the feeling that you left a game with. Now, it's possible that that's true, right? But that's not a productive outlook and it's probably not true. So, you know, that kind of goes to what you said, Zach, but make sure that when you're testing a list, you're kind of taking as much responsibility for the result as possible so that you can actually apply the lessons learned from the game because, you know, I got diced is not a useful lesson. <laughs> so and it's probably not true. All right. Well, we are the notorious. Oh, uh, sorry. One more thing to plug. We plugged this last week. <laughs> But please check uh, submit your maps for battle lines for Invader League if you want to do that. Uh, the more maps, the better for that. So check it out on the Discord. All right, now we are the Notorious Scoundrels. I'm Kyle. I'm Mike. I'm Zach. Stay fresh, cheese bags. <laughs>